This conference will now be recorded. Hello, hello, everybody. My name is Rick Xavier, the CEO at 321BizDev LLC, located in Sacramento County, California. And 321BizDev is a sales system and business development consulting firm, not a marketing company like some people think initially. And 321 has created the first digital networking session or platform for small business owners to collaborate in a meaningful way. And we compete against the, the big name, whoop, let's see. We compete against the big name uh, uh, traditional networking groups that I won't mention their names here, but I know how they operate because I was part of it for a couple of years and paid a whole bunch of money and got nothing. But for today, we want to talk about several things. We have um, at least one speaker, maybe two. One person is probably uh, trying to get through, trying to come on. And we do have a list that we have scheduled for next week for sure. Uh, at least one CPA, at least one attorney, and both are in the state of Florida. And maybe one in Los Angeles. We'll see. Um, trying to find the right time for everyone to, to break away from what they're doing. And it might be likely that we have an evening DNS time to give small business owners who are in the battle of uh, working their businesses who may not have time to break away uh, for 30 minutes. But we will accommodate as you know people as much as possible. And I just wanna give people an update on our email newsletter. Uh, we were using a company, but uh, that company, all the benefits and features that were promised did not come true, did not come to fruition. So we went back and found that the, the system that I'm already using has a great email newsletter or digital newsletter, which is what I wanted all along. I should have just looked at the services that I, that I already have. But I just, I just want to say a few things before um, before the caller comes in. It looks like the caller is here. Is this Michelle? Yes, hello. Hi, Michelle. This is Michelle Santana, who is somebody yes. that I uh, have said hello to for many, many mornings while getting coffee. And then one day, Michelle and I had a chance to chat, and I found out that Michelle is a serial entrepreneur. So I know, Michelle, <laughs> you have a, a tight schedule today. Please take a few minutes to introduce yourself because I know you'll be back next week. Please tell people a little about yourself and uh, what are you doing right now and and just what would you like to achieve, you know, since you don't know much about it, what would you like to achieve on the digital networking platform? Okay. So, um, yes, my name's Michelle I'm from Sacramento. Um, and I actually, um, I run a few nonprofit websites, um, and I am a, um, a business owner. I, I own a online boutique and I'm currently working on, um, getting into the poultry industry right now. So yeah, that's, um, one of the things that I'm interested in, <laughs> um, so yeah, and the you were saying about the digital platform. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and um, please tell and please um, like you told me a couple of days ago, and I think this is actually very appropriate to Jessica. Jessica is is a is a registered nurse, and she's also a person. She's the owner of a company that works with attorneys, and she helps attorneys when they have um, when they have clients that have medical issues that are somewhat severe and they need like a, a legal nurse to look at the, look at the files to get people a bigger settlement. But, but uh, Michelle, please tell people what you told me about you quit your nine to five. Oh yeah. So um, I, I was working in the, actually I was working at Starbucks <laughs> um, and I just felt like I, it was just a lot. Um, the you know the bosses were they were too hard on you and they worked you like a dog pretty much and it was just it was I, I had a very good um customer service skill so 
I was always the one that was underpaid but overworked. So I just, you know, one day I got involved with a um a multi-level marketing company and um you know, I made like $2,000 in a couple of weeks just off of selling health and wellness products. And after that, like I just was like, wow, like this is I, it's two, you know, couple, making a couple thousand dollars in a couple of weeks was like, that was, you know, just being at home, that was really like mind boggling and, and life changing. So, um, and then, you know, my, my grandma actually got sick and I, I had to go to New York for a little while. And um, I actually had to, I quit then. And I, you know, I started working on multi-level marketing. And um, yeah, since then, I, I've been Probably I haven't had clocked into a actual job since the age of 23. And, um, yeah, and I'm going to be 35 this year. So, you know, it's been a long time. <laughs> well, that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And for Jessica and listeners, uh, Michelle is a, I like to say it this way, Michelle is a person, she's a, she's an influencer. And hopefully, Michelle, you will get to learn more about the digital networking session because I think uh, the influencing uh, conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago, I think you'll find a great landing spot here on the digital networking session. But I know you got to go. Yeah, you can, yeah. You're free to yeah, listen thank in. thank you. Like. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, you can put yourself on mute or you can take off and we'll chat next week. Okay, thank you. I'll yep. probably see you tomorrow <laughs> yep. at Starbucks. Good. All right. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Michelle. Michelle has a lot more skills than what she she talked about, but we'll get to learn more about her uh, next week. But she is a person that's looking to be a true influencer. And on that subject of being an influencer, there's a you know social media has taken this this uh, this thing about people being influencers and you know a lot of times you say okay this person says they're a true influencer but you know sometimes i'm trying to figure out what 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 are the what are they influencing but i'll tell you what on the digital networking session on this platform uh, small business owners can be true influencers and i did a podcast episode yesterday that talked about the power of people's titles and occupations. So you have attorneys, you have CPAs, you have registered nurses, you have PhDs, you have dentists, and plastic surgeons. I have a conversation I'm going to have in a couple of hours with the plastic surgeon in Seattle. And the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of uh, white collar small business owners, and that includes all the occupations I just mentioned, these people have great influence. And I was talking about a subject uh, that happened maybe 15 years ago when I, when I went to a, a networking event for, well, actually it was a seminar that a Boston elder law attorney did in Berkeley, California. And his name was Harley, uh, not Harley Davidson, Harley Gordon. He was from Boston. And just the fact that he was an, an, an attorney Lots of people showed up. So the digital networking session, we're going to we're going to run with this this uh, this thing about elevating people's positions and titles because the, the positions are already elevated. So I'm, I'm not going to elevate it. I'm going to use the current status of these people's occupations like nurses, uh, P, uh, uh, CPAs, attorneys and people. And we're going to build around that. Those, these titles and we call it leveraging. I know some of you may be listening and say, oh yeah, CPA is going to talk about a certain subject Well, you can best believe business owners who may have interest in that are going to show up. But now we're going to add an additional dimension to the CPA uh, occupation and say, join the network, join the network so you can learn more about uh, what CPAs do. You can talk about your business. We can refer business. We can collaborate. We can learn about how to um, install sales systems and business development, uh, you know, processes that 
maybe some business owners never had access to. In fact, I know they didn't have access to it because when I was leaving corporate America and transferred or transform, uh, transitioned into independent sales, I felt kind of lost because I was used to the corporate branding. Because when you work for a corporation, it is less difficult to talk about your products and services when you work for a Fortune 500 company and everybody knows your, your, your company name. So when I, so when I went independent, <clears throat> independent insurance, independent real estate, and now 321BizDev, which does have a brand, let me tell you, um, I found it to be awkward. How can I talk about uh, something where maybe 95% of the people have never heard of the company? So that's why you need a system. So I have one more subject to talk about next, but I wanna bring on Jessica Macho, and she is the uh, owner of Prestige Legal Nurse Consulting located in Western Pennsylvania. And she's gonna talk about a subject uh, that she has brought. And then uh, Jessica and I will go back and forth. And then we will close with the topic of the elevator pitch and, and, and topics that surround the elevator pitch. And the elevator pitch is basically how do you describe your business in 20 seconds or less? So Jessica, how are you doing? I'm doing well today, Rick. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. And we got a chance to chat with um, with uh, Michelle. And Michelle mentioned uh, multi-level marketing. And I tell you what, I got my start in that in those, in those businesses too, long, long time ago. In fact, I want to say that I learned most of my prospecting skills from one of those businesses about 25 years ago. So, yeah, so she brought something uh, uh, to me today that I didn't know about, but it's but I, I can understand where she gets her people skills from now because that's where a lot of people get their people skills as they transition from, you know, multi-level businesses to traditional businesses. So what's on your mind today, Jessica? <laughs> I think the, the more fair question would be what's not on my mind today. I feel like I have a ton of crazy things flying through it with the week that it's been. Um, but yeah, I, I think last time that we talked, we talked about maybe taking uh, a subject in my area of expertise and kind of talking about it and how I can help attorneys, um, you know, fight for top dollar and, and actually be able to obtain that top dollar as part of their, you know, overall outcome and settlement, um, which is going to segue us into our, you know, ending discussion of the elevator pitch. So we'll start with, um, you know, we touched briefly on a scenario last week um, or at the beginning of this week. I don't know. I feel like it's been a crazy long week that I don't even know what part of the week we're in right now. Um, but one thing that I had talked about was, you know, the longer that somebody is in a hospital, something that, uh, you know, many tend to, to not think about or, or maybe even forget about or um, not quite understand is the longer that somebody is inpatient and uh, essentially, you know, in bed, confined to a bed for one reason or the other, um, you know, they lose muscle mass and they are then, once they eventually get discharged from the hospital, are needing to go through rehabilitative uh, services, you know, re rehabilitation to uh, regain their strength. And the longer that somebody is, you know, there, then the longer that their therapy is going to be, which essentially is going to sort of drag out uh, the timeline of, you know, the period of, of care that they may need after their initial injury. So one thing that I really love to talk about, and I could probably talk about it for hours and hours and hours, but we'll make a really long um, subject short and brief today. Um, but my my forte and my favorite thing to talk about is traumatic brain injuries. 
Um, so one of the topics that I do want to talk about today is uh, something called, and I talked about this on a one of my social media platforms many, many months ago, um, but this is something called a penumbra effect. So it's quite interesting, um, but let's say, for example, that somebody is standing uh, on a high rise. You know, they're they're standing on a platform that is maybe three feet off of the ground. Okay, so something happens, and that person falls off of this high rise. Three feet to some can be a, a long distance to others not very much but um you know let's say this particular person is on blood thinners and they fall um off of this high rise and they hit their head off of the ground and because they're on blood thinners they um are really high risk of you know developing a brain bleed anything like that so the impact that their head makes with the ground in this case uh, is considered primary injury. That primary injury, unfortunately, has happened because that person fell. And there's really nothing that we can do to stop that primary injury. What we can do, however, is try to prevent the growth of that primary injury into what we like to call a secondary injury. Secondary injury is something that occurs as a result of that primary injury. And so it's really important to really understand a traumatic brain injury and the process of it when you're looking at medical records for uh, litigation and you know in a lawsuit um, because there is a lot of things that can affect the outcome of that case. Uh, specifically, you know, was treatment correct? There's a whole lot of uh, different treatments that go into that. There's surgeries, there's medications, um, you know, stabilization of, of other things, um, labs, um, the, the patient themselves. Um, you know, so all of these things truly are not really identifiable by anyone other than a true traumatic brain injury expert. So, what I wanted to discuss today, again, is that penumbra effect. So we talked about the primary injury and then our ways to prevent the secondary injury. Um, penumbra, the penumbra effect is something um, that happens uh, that, that sort of extends beyond that primary injury. So, so as an example, we're gonna pretend that we're standing beside a lake, okay? And we have a stone that we are going to throw into that lake. As that stone hits the water, you see that circle that create that is created when the stone hits the water. And then from there, you see that ripple effect. You know what I'm talking about? The one where the, the, the rings just kind of grow and grow and grow. And then you start with your one um, circle your one ring and it kind of expands out into three, four, five, and it just, you know, goes until it dissipates and you don't see it anymore. That mm -hmm. is penumbra, actually. Um, so the thought with that when, a, when you're thinking about a traumatic brain injury is you have the primary injury, you have the area that was affected by the impact. So let's say that impact, that, that injured area has now extended into um, blood collecting around that area or edema or swelling collecting uh, as a result of that area. Then you start to have ventricles within your brain starting to be compressed. And then you start seeing all kinds of different other um, instabilities within, um, you know, with the patient that the medical team now has to treat. Um, those are all things that you really have to understand uh, to, to really know which way to go throughout a legal case. Um, so they're really important. I'm really just touching the surface on that on that subject um, because like I said, I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. Um, as I was a, a trauma nurse and, and you know, doing this in real life uh, with real living people, um, one of my, one thing that I really like to do is uh, the new nursing students that would come in to the intensive care unit uh, learning as part of their clinical um, program, uh, 
you know, I would take them in and be able to show them all this stuff in, in real, you know, life scenarios. And, and I've had many that kind of said, oh my God, that just makes sense now. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is a penumbra. That's, that's what we consider though a secondary injury. You're rarely ever going to really hear a doctor say, well, we now have a penumbra. Um, It's always going to be typically primary injury, secondary injury, uh, even sometimes tertiary injury, things like that. So um, that, you know, when you're when you're calling on an expert um, as an attorney to break down those things, it really takes a true expert to understand the mechanism of injury and what is going to happen beyond that injury potentially and how treatment can, how the correct treatments um, can prevent hopefully the secondary injury or even sometimes unfortunately progress to a secondary injury or what if treatment isn't sought at all? You know, what if that person falls off of this high rise and everybody's just kind of, you know, maybe it's at a party and nobody um, wants to think about it. A person stands up, they're fine. And, and then, you know, a few hours later, this person goes unresponsive. That delayed treatment is a huge um, deficit to the, to the entire uh, algorithm of of traumatic brain injury. So again, there's a lot that goes into it. That's kind of something I just wanted to touch the surface on. But the point of it being, um, you know, when you're really trying to get to a bigger settlement for the person uh, that was injured or their families, um, things like that, you know, reach out to a true expert such as myself uh, to help you achieve that goal. Um, I got a question for you. Sure. So we know every case is different and obviously you're not a medical doctor, but what have you Mm -hmm. seen as the prognosis or uh, the the remedy and maybe the recovery time for someone that has had this this primary uh, diagnosis of hitting hitting their head and then the secondary uh, diagnosis of the penundrum? Penumbra, I think you called it. I called it yeah. penumbrum. Penumbra. Um, so if you are able to successfully prevent a secondary injury from from occurring um, to the point where it causes additional issues and, and additional um, deficits, then, I mean, let's say it's a, a really mild traumatic brain injury and, and we're talking, you know, concussion um of that sort, um, you know, you're looking at probably a few days till you're out of the hospital, things like that. But, you know, it, it could extend into you're looking at months. But one thing that you have to think about, too, is one thing that really tends to stick around for a really long time, if not forever, after a traumatic brain injury is headaches. So while symptomatology may go away pretty quickly, with, you know, after that primary injury and no secondary injury, um, you know, headaches could be a lasting issue. So it's really important to kind of project and and think about that too, because if you're needing to now see a neurologist because you have migraines for the rest of your life now, or at least for the next however many months, and you're now needing to take medications, that's also expenses that you're having to uh, face potentially through the negligence of somebody else. So those are all things, um, you know, again, it's different. I didn't give you an exact answer because it it is all very different. Um, Personally, I've seen somebody uh, do very well even a few days after the injury. And I've also seen people uh, leave our unit to a step-down unit, essentially doing nothing, still uh, on a ventilator, uh, breathing through a tracheostomy, um, not responsive, not opening their eyes, not really doing anything, essentially, unfortunately, in that vegetative state, um, you know, they move on to a long-term care uh, thing. And then five, six months later, they wake up and seemingly are okay. It's kind of crazy, um, you know. And then on the flip side, we do have those that unfortunately don't do well, and that is the state that they're in. And you're looking at long-term care 
for the remainder of their lives and, you know, medical teams and, and things like that um, forever. So there's really vague variations of an outcome with a traumatic brain injury. Did that help at all, or did that just confuse oh, no, you? No, that's 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 exactly what I was I was looking to hear, and I know attorneys listening to this uh, episode will think about calling Jessica because you you mentioned something in this example you gave that I mean uh, may, maybe in an attorney that uh, just looks at the surface, oh, person fell, hit their head, and now they're fine, you know, like the next day, at least temporarily. Let's let's close the case. Let's let's uh, send the settlement through. If there's money to 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 receive to attach uh, to a settlement, but what you're talking about is someone happens to relapse because maybe this uh, a deeper diagnosis or deep a deeper examination was not done, and maybe a month later, this person hasn't fully recovered, but now they're starting to slip into these other uh, illnesses and 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 you know brain issues that's something an attorney should should investigate and, and and look at these medical records because you know i'm not a medical expert i'm not a i'm not a nursing expert but i'm thinking someone like yourself can see the timeline and maybe see how where one thing leads to another that's a, that's a song by the way um <laughs> i used to be a club dj so I can relate many things to songs, but um, but yeah, what you're saying makes sense. And I think an attorney should call you, especially if it's a brain injury, and if they have no experience in that, and they don't want to, they don't want to pay thirty thousand dollars to have uh, you know an MD come in and talk about it when they can get the same uh, you know report and 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 write up from a brain injury expert like yourself. Yeah, and that's a good point too um, that you made and, and just to touch on it briefly, um, you know, initially when somebody does bump their head through any mechanism really, um, usually they are, and I say this um, lightly, I guess, is they, they seem okay. Um, you know, they, they stand up, they're talking, you know, but remember your body goes through that fight or flight process. So same kind of situation, the body is realizing that, wow, something really crazy just happened. And so they're, the, the body's response to that is either fight it or, you know, fight or flight, run away from it or fight it. So uh, it can sometimes take up to, you know, up to about six hours for a true brain injury to show uh, any slight symptom. Um, so a lot of times, you know, when we would have patients come into the hospital, we would do uh, a CT scan upon admission. And then once they would come to the ICU, we would always get a six hour um, CT scan just to see what was going on, unless there was any neurological, you know, changes uh, that were that were severe enough that we had to do that CT scan sooner. Um, but, you know, keeping that in mind that even though they hit their head and they seemingly were okay initially, that is part of the process because the body has chosen to either fight or flight. And in this case, fight. So it's trying to compensate for what is what has just happened and it is trying to, you know, the, the brain is trying to compensate for all of the things that are potentially changing inside in, inside. And, and we're just, you know, not really seeing the visual deficits of that yet. But remember, the skull is only so big and the skull cannot expand. And so you're forcing a lot of extra things into a, a capsule that just does not have enough space. So that's when you start, when when that, what very tiny little bit of space you do have in there beyond the cerebral spinal fluid and the brain itself, um, you start seeing the, the deficits of the actual injury. And again, it could be hours later. Well, I recall about maybe five years ago, I was jogging and I'm not sure if I didn't pick my foot up high enough or the sidewalk 
was a little bit elevated, but I had a nasty fall and fell on my face. We, you know, one of those kind of falls that you didn't know was coming. And I, and I, and I was able to brace it with my hands a little bit. And so my hands were all scarred up and, and bloody, but I remember hitting my, my face on the sidewalk. And when you said your body goes into flight or fight, I felt that. I felt my body saying, do I want to deal with this or do I want to just leave it alone? So I was dizzy for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Fight or flight. That's what happened. That's what my body was, was going through. And I wish I would have called Jessica. And I, maybe, I, maybe I would have had a case because that sidewalk was definitely um, higher than it sh should have been because I've been jogging for 20 some years and I've never, you know, uh, missed a, you know, not lifted my, my feet up high enough to, to clear a, a sidewalk. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, so do you want to, do you want to, do you want to segue into, you said uh, you, you uh, wanted to segue into the elevator pitch. Did you want to talk a little about that before I begin? Absolutely. So uh, on our last podcast, we had talked about uh uh, mission statements and how they are extremely important to allowing other companies and consumers and potential clients uh, let them know what you do for them and and what you can do to offer them assistance. So uh, we had created uh, together. You know, I had bounced some ideas off of you and. Um, Together, we created one that I think is really good. So I'll read it and then you can go ahead and talk about the importance of an elevator pitch. Um, so specifically with Prestige Legal Nurse Consulting, we review consumer medical records to assist attorneys in delivering the highest cash settlements possible to injured clients. And that is why you want to give us a call. I love it. And, and see, and the reason why I like it is because you know, we're going to talk about it right now. We got a, I got a few slides to show. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Screens. I guess uh, that's it. Let's see if I can go technically. Can you see my screen now? Yes. Yes, I can. Okay. Great. Great. I'm getting. I'm, I should get a certificate for learning how to do this now from from the, from the vendor. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with this. This is called, and this is uh, slide number 62 from the 321 Selling Without Appearing to Sell uh, Sales System and Business Development. So we're going to go through about maybe eight slides real quickly, but I want to start with this one. Business development, number one core belief. You believe in doing the things, taking action equal, equals power, most people are unwilling to do and you're pursuing business development and talent development okay so you mentioned the other day and others have mentioned this over the last eight years and i've heard about this probably in the last 20 years because i did not i didn't come i came from corporate america and i had to make this transition from a six-figure w-2 salary to self-employment status or an entrepreneur. And so I didn't know about this until I started 321BizDev. I mean, you have to, you know, scrape your 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 knees and and uh, you know scratch your your you know your your knuckles are all bruised and you take a beating making this transition if you don't have a system. So when I transitioned from W2 to self-employment, my natural thing was I needed to improve my skills. But unfortunately, Jessica, I couldn't find a place to do it. The people that were managing these independent uh, insurance companies, real estate companies, they didn't have a, a, like a system. They just said, go out and sell it, ABC, always be closing. And at the end, if, uh, if people don't wanna buy, you go to the back of your manual and you use this thing called how to handle objections. And let me tell you folks, if you're listening to this and your company is telling you to handle the objection at the end, that's never gonna work. Well, let me put it this way. You have a 7% chance of 
getting someone to buy who who initially said no and it's just it's tough you might as well just walk in a dark alley looking to fight somebody because it's it's not um it's not a good feeling for a client to say no after you have you have talked with them for maybe 20 or 30 minutes and now you're at the point where you're ready to uh, convert them to, from a prospect to a client and the person says no. that means something happened long before you got to that point of asking that person if they want to be a client or not so so the question is why wouldn't we want to improve our business development skills other core beliefs number two you welcome change for the advantages and opportunities uh, the change creates or offers number three you see adapting to change as the quickest way to put separation between you and your competition. And I always tell you this, Jessica, every time we have a podcast episode, you're showing me that you have these core beliefs because you're trying to put this separation between yourself and your competition. Or said another way, you're trying to elevate your skills so that the, the attorneys that truly need a legal nurse consulting consultant will call Jessica first. Number four, core belief, you believe in doing things no one else is willing to do. And that's a testament to you. And you pursue personal growth through learning new things. And okay, then there's, then there's a final one. You create new experiences that come close as possible to the preferred experiences. So I'm not sure how long you've been talking like we've been talking on these episodes, but this is a new experience and it's a new experience for a lot of people to go from working a nine to five and all of a sudden you're you're talking about what you want to do in your business it is a 180 degree shift from going to work getting the paycheck going home going back to work on monday to now taking charge or taking control of generating business by providing your products and services. So you got any any quick comments before I move to the elevator pitch? I I don't. Um aside from thank you for seeing the <laughs> passion that I have into, you know, building this business and this brand. I tell you what, it's rare. I I mean, when I say it's rare, um before I talk about the elevator pitch, I I just got to tell you something that Five percent of the people that I that I talk to actually move forward with. I mean, they are they're already business owners, so I'm not I'm not trying to slight the fact that they're business owners. The point I want to make is that when it comes to having a business and then taking control of that business, those are two different things. Because I know a lot of attorneys and CPAs and dentists and plastic surgeons and and all the other white collar small business owners that have businesses. But the key is, do you want to take control of it? So yeah, about five or ten percent of the people, but it's not it's not like the majority don't want to do it. It's really uh, coming to the conclusion that that a person wants to take control, and sometimes that just takes that takes a few months for people to realize, you know what, I need to take control of my business. I went to school for for four years, six years, eight years, ten years, and you know maybe I'm not getting the full benefit of all those years of education and open up this opening up this office you know having 10 15 20 thousand dollars a month and and overhead expenses i need to pump up my, the revenue side of my business so so let's move on to um this thing about contacting people i'm gonna slide down a little bit probably a lot of it let's see let's go to this one okay so it's lights camera action Business owners have the starring role in their own business. They, they, they're, they're the feature, they have the feature role in their, in their business owner feature film. And so we want to talk about the prospecting signature. Uh, the definition of a prospecting signature is it's it, a signature uniquely identifies or distinguishes you from others in a group. So everyone, well, based on occupation alone, uh, people have a, a like a different prospecting signature, but overall, if you lined up 10 CPAs, 10 attorneys, 10 dentists, they all would have a different prospecting signature 
based on their their unique identity. So how do you develop your prospecting signature? Well, developing your signature sounds harder than it is. See, once you identify your values or strengths, your inspirations that are at your core, you can discover who you are as a business owner. So it takes little effort for salespeople to develop their signature. Now, the number one way a person can identify their prospecting signature or and then their elevator pitch, you have to start identifying why you like being you. Because it has to be why you like being you. Because if you like the reasons why you're, you are you, chances are high probability other people will like why you're being you. Um, and I'm talking about not uh, nar narcissistic type stuff. I'm talking about what is generally the reasons why people like you. And then you, you receive that back. You say, okay, I'm likable because you know, most people like me. So that's what I mean by identifying why you like being you. So a signature style is the representation of yourself and what defines you and what makes you unique. Okay, so my signature has always been, since I was like a little kid, I wasn't capitalistic and economics driven, you know, <laughs> as a kid, but I've always been analytical. When I sat home, when it was pouring down rain in Florida, I used to read books. I used to open up, I'm, I'm dating myself, but we had encyclopedias, <laughs> the world book encyclopedia, but then when there was like another one, Britannica. So when I when it was pouring rain outside in Florida, I just go to the to the encyclopedia and say, "What's uh, what's Russia? What's Brazil? What is a isotope?" I mean, I used to just look at stuff like that. So I've always been analytical, and then uh, you know, working in corporate America and then studying economics, you know, at Cal Berkeley, I became capitalistic and economics. And let me explain what capitalistic means. I know some people. They take their, they put their, they poke their nose and their eyes start rolling when I talk about capitalistic. But capitalistic simply means you're moving a product or service from yourself to a consumer and there's a profit involved. It's not uh, anything else that people may conjure up about capitalism. Everybody that's in a business, I don't, I don't care if you're, if you're digging ditches for a living or uh, doing eye surgery to, to repair a retina and you're getting paid for it and you're making a profit from it, that's called capitalistic. So 321BizDev helps people grow their businesses by connecting them with prospect before the competition does. That's sort of like my prospecting signature, but I'll talk about the elevator pitch uh, in a few minutes. So 321BizDev, that's what we do. We connect uh, people with, with prospects before the competition does. We know the competition is spending a lot of money to do it, and they still can't sometimes or most of the time accomplish that. So list, So to develop your prospecting signature, list as many things you can describe why you like you. Then you can begin the process of designing your prospecting signature. So let's talk about the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is so, so important. The psychological uh, background behind the elevator pitch is this. And I'll, it's really the second line, but I'll go into it uh, uh, still. It says, the elevator pitch helps you look professional in the eyes of the public, public by stating concisely what you do for a living. And then dot, 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 in, in the eyes of the consumer. See, a lot of people, when they say their elevator pitch, they'll say things like, well, you know, I own a, a concrete company. It did $5 million last year. We're the best. We outperform our competition on the West Coast. That is not an elevator pitch in the eyes of the consumer. The consumer is going to say, oh, so you're a big shot. <laughs> That's what is perceived by consumers when elevator pitches start that lead the consumer out of the message. So the elevator pitch is a 20 to 30 second commercial quickly summarizing what you do for customers. Now, why can't the elevator pitch be 60 seconds or 90 seconds? It's because consumers are looking for the fastest 
most efficient uh, statement of what you do for a living. Once you go past 30 seconds, then you are entering the realm of being a salesperson. So you can talk, 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 and then you get past the 20 second, 30 second point, then the person that you're talking to, they see you as a salesperson. And when you start talking, you know, 45 seconds, 60 seconds long, the person is, 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 is um, sort of uh, subconsciously thinking, when is this man or woman gonna quit? I don't want, I don't care what they're selling now because they could not summarize it in 20 seconds. So plus when you summarize your elevator pitch and it and you and you're comfortable with it, that lets that consumer know that you've done this before. You've done it before. It's not like the person uh, talking to this consumer is new. Now you could be brand new, but if you have an elevator pitch that's effective, the, the person that you're talking to may never know how new you are. And this is how I used to train insurance agents that didn't know Jack about their products. So I would say, okay, insurance agent, you don't know anything about um, an index universal life or an annuity or a rollover or a 403B and or any of those things. But can you how can you can you state what you do over in 20 seconds to 100 people? And the agent goes, yeah, but Shouldn't I know about the product or service? No, no, no. You don't need to know about the product or service yet because you're. You, then you'll want to talk about the product or service. You don't want to talk about the product or service. You just want to say what you do as a business owner and then let that person gravitate to you. The ones that have an interest in your product or service, they will automatically gravitate. Or they, We call it, so I'll have another episode called Pull Marketing. We'll have that one next week. And, the elevator pitch is a great start to pull marketing. Pull marketing is not even taught in uh, business colleges. It's, this, it's, it's really like a graduate level uh, thing and it's an MBA type thing, but even MBAs sometimes don't even know how to use it. So that concludes what the elevator pitch is. So I'll tell you what my elevator pitch is. And I kind of stated it at the beginning, 321BizDev is a sales system and consulting firm helping white collar small business owners improve productivity and performance to add more clients. Okay, that's about 10 to 15 seconds. And I have a second one that I use, but the key to the elevator pitch is find one or two that you like the most and stick with it for at least 30 days. You know, and, and your elevator pitch can be on social media. It can be something that you say. It can be something if someone asks you what you do for a living in person, because people will respect an effective ele elevator pitch, big time, big time. So what do you think about that, Jessica? I think it all sounds great. I think it's awesome. I never, you know, I will say that I never truly understood any of that until I met you and went through your um, business development course. Um, so thank you for that. Um, but but it is important. And I never really understood the reasoning behind it either until recently. It kind of, you know, light bulb went off and or, well on, I guess. And uh it, it just makes sense and and you're more apt to get questions follow-up questions from that short uh elevator pitch than if you were to you know continue on and on and on and lose the interest of whomever you're talking to so you know then you can talk more about what you do um because they're more interested and then you know following up and asking more questions and and then that leads to, oh, well, I, you know, this one time I had this issue happen and then you start, you know, conversing about that. And then, oh, my neighbor is a lawyer. I should get you in contact with them. <laughs> so exactly. Cause, yeah, because yeah. people respect professionalism. People do not want to refer, like, for instance, let's say you had a, like a three minute elevator pitch. <laughs> that person who may have, may have thought, gosh, I'm, I'm going to re refer Jessica to my friend. If they hear a 20 second elevator pitch, they're gonna be impressed. They're gonna say, oh, I gotta re refer you to Raul, the attorney. But if you have a three minute elevator pitch and you're just talking, they're not gonna even bring it up. 
And one thing to add to the elevator pitch, and this may sound counter to what most people believe, try your best to remove all emotion from the elevator pitch. Because when people are, are analyzing whether they want to do business with you or not, they, they, are, um, they, are keen, they are keen to, this person is trying to hype it up. This person is trying to hit my, hit my, um, my hot button. They are, consumers are very smart. And when I was writing 321 Biz, Dev, I must have read probably 10, paper, 10 papers from uh, consumer behavioral psychologists. And they said, you might talk to someone that with a sixth grade education about your product thinking, oh, this person just has a sixth grade education. But that person who's about to spend their money with you, they are keen to uh, being touched emotionally and using psychology to hit their hot button. So the person that, uh, let's say a, a business owner wanted to sell, oh, I can sell to that person because they just have a sixth grade education. Well, if you come at that, uh, that, that, sick, that person with that sixth grade education with some type of you know, long elevator pitch that's actually pitching the product and you're, just, you're trying to close a person in five minutes, that person is going to walk away because regardless of a person's educational status, they are, their brain is still sharp about what they want and what they don't want and what they're looking for and what they identify as being professional and non-professional. So I want to thank you for that, Jessica. Any closing comments? And please leave your contact information. Sure. Um, the only closing comment really is, uh, you know, reach out. Excuse me, <laughs> lost my voice there a second. Uh, you know, reach out and uh, when you have an injury-related case, uh, specifically traumatic injuries, uh, it is truly what I love to do, and I am very passionate about helping other people. And um, you know, without the help of Rick and Three Two One BizDev, you know, I definitely I don't think would uh, be as successful as as things are today. So. If you want to reach me directly, uh, please feel free to give me a call at 814-330-3847. I do have a, an account on all uh, social media platforms except for Twitter. It's the only one I'm not currently on. Um, but I have uh, my business name, Prestige Legal Nurse Consulting, on, on all platforms. My email address is... Bear with me on it. It's actually uh, in the process of being changed uh, to shorten it and make it easier for everybody. But it will be jessica.macho at prestigelnc.com. Uh, that is, I'm in that holding pattern right now of domain switching over. Uh, so once that gets done, it'll be up and running. And then my website, uh, prestige lnc.com as well uh, once that gets back up and running so um, otherwise dm me on any of the social media platforms or just call me directly that's probably your best way uh, 814-330-3847 and i look forward to collaborating to make a positive Im uh, impact on many injured individuals all right jessica well thank you very much and uh, make it a great day talk to you soon Talk soon. Thanks, Rick. All right. Bye-bye.